Greg Bottrell is an experienced early years practitioner, consultant and author of Can I Go and Play Now? He is a powerhouse, but one that is willing to give up his control and power and place it back with the children. In this episode, he talks about pop-up provision, learning landscapes, and chats schemes, neoliberalism, and the unique child. Well, that's the, that's the clever thing that schemes have done, and actually, you know, as I call them, big corp phonics. What they've been able to do is, is tell the myth that before they came along, learning didn't exist. After we finished recording the episode, Greg pondered if it sounded too bleak, but I believe that Greg offers us so much positivity and hope, and you get to hear it in this episode today. It's a chance to have faith in our ability to get our slippers on and get playing. Greg Day has finally arrived, everyone. Enjoy the episode. Greg Bottrell, I am so delighted you are here. Welcome. Welcome. You just caught me having a sip of tea then. It's early on a Saturday morning. It is. <laughs> We're allowed. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I am. Um, company. I got home from work last night and I said to my partner, it's Greg Day tomorrow. And I did the same when I woke up this morning. It's uh, Greg Day. <laughs> it's like Christmas. So thank you so much for, for joining me. All, not at all. Every day is Greg Day for me. I can't vouch <laughs> it's a good experience. But uh, anyway, <laughs> let's not go there. Okay. That's, that's another podcast. Um, yes. <laughs> I want to get stuck in straight away because mm. I really have so much to ask you. Uh, just quickly before we start, there will be so many wondering, are you still teaching in a school? I'm not currently, no. I, I do support um, a local preschool, but obviously lots of stuff that I do now takes me into school. So it's actually a blessing to be able to go in and not just support staff, but also just to kind of sort of see the challenges and also that play is still alive, just. It's holding on. It's holding on, yes. <laughs> Um, no, I don't currently know. At what point did you realise that you needed to attempt to make real change? Um, I think there's several key things. Um, I, before I became a teacher, I worked for an organisation called the Gloucestershire Scrap Store. I don't know if you know about scrap stores. They are they're like an, they're often I think they're, they're in most major towns. They basically go out and collect um, business waste like um, paper, card, plastic, fabric that's been dyed, and then they they make them available for local art groups, schools to come and collect and then use in their creative uh, projects and stuff. It's really exciting, their race. And I, um, we used to go and do um, projects in local schools. This was in Gloucester. Um, and it was back in the day when the Labour government were in. So there was money and, you know, investment in life. And um, they, we got some funding to go to Reggio Emilia for 10 days. Uh, and that was just transformative and it kind of coincided with my daughter starting education as well yeah and I don't know there's other things I you know again sort of echoes of my own childhood the kind of the teachers that I had the experiences that I had and I when I then went into education I was just kind of looking around thinking where is all this yeah you know and Again, I, most of my work, in fact, all of my work is really about childhood. It's actually less about education. It's actually about childhood and what is it and yeah. how you can marry the two together because I don't believe they have to be mutually exclusive. No, and they do feel so separate, don't they? And, when that, and that's so strange to think that they are. Well, it's bizarre. And it's, like, it's, it's almost like, um, it's like we're still living in Victorian England, but we've just got interactive whiteboards. <laughs> So Do you true. know what I mean? It says a Victorian schoolmistress would be comfortable 
in a classroom nowadays. Yeah. And you have to question why. <laughs> and my daughter came home the other day, and this is nothing... Like, her school is amazing, and they do mm. their best with what what they have and what pressures they've got. This is, you know, where it comes from. Um, but she came home the other day. She's in year two, and she said... Oh, no, it was in the morning. She woke up, and she said, Oh, it, is it Wednesday? And I said, No, it's Tuesday, darling. And she said, Oh, God, it's only Tuesday. And I was like... How are you counting down the days to the weekend at the age of six? Like, <laughs> how has that happened? Every day should be a joy when you wake up when you're six, you know? For sure. Um, uh, yeah, that kind of feeling of dread. That, that, where has that come from? And that just shows that, you know, childhood really isn't in our education system. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's, you know, as a, as a story, that's, you know, that's pretty heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah. And I, and I think the flip of that is I also passionately believe in what I call teacherhood mm. and teacherhood is that thing when you go and train and you come out and you're full of vim and vigor yeah and you do all this creative stuff and then you just come into this system that just goes actually forget all that you've got to do a billion hours of phonics and here's this scheme and blah 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 blah. yeah and it's and it's the destruction of what you know again in lots of my work I talk about I talk about the soul a lot mm. for me it's I don't know, I, again, it's like the incongruence with who we really are. Yeah. And, and again, I, you know, it's that. I was re- I'm reading School and the Magic of Children at the moment, <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I, I just highlight so much. Um, but there was just one that I read last night, and I thought I've got to read it on the podcast today, and it kind of links to what we're talking about. Well, it does link to what we're talking about. Um, and it says, because, because education systems are sycophantic and increasingly inward-looking, the flow of what life could be for young children is nullified. What should be flow and growth of self is blocked and controlled and replaced. It acts like a dam against the tide of life. It denies the adventure and offers a predetermined journey, each second within it going to waste, negating energy and stunting the possibilities that life could be. I just thought that was so powerful. And, you know, for some people who don't work in education, let's talk about, you know, parents and carers. That might seem like a really kind of dramatic way of looking at it, but it really is true, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think absolutely. Um, my thing is, is this is not about school bashing. It's not about teacher bashing. It's a, it's a question. Mm. It's a question of, you know, we have, you know, lots of people go, I've got to do this or do this and education's really bad. And it's like, okay, well, we can go on and on and on with that. That's just telling the story, but there's a different story. Right. There really is a different story yeah. of possibility. And it starts with play. Mm. and and if we're not talking about that story who is yeah because the other story is about you know progress outcomes performance essentially neoliberalism which has just decimated education i believe and just created Mm -hmm. this kind of you know children in at one end and output at the other yeah but i think also often adults are complicit in that as well because they ha- mm. they lack the imagination to think of something different yeah and do you think that's becoming more you know quite often I mean I've been teaching I think 15 years now 
Um, and schemes didn't really exist when I started teaching. They weren't, you know, I think they probably did for phonics. But yes, because I would, I remember who I used for my first year. Mm -hmm. So phonics schemes existed. But in terms of other topics, I always just created my own planning in response to the children. Yes. But now when I kind of talk to new teachers about not using schemes, and it, it's through no fault of their own, again, none of this is about teacher bashing, but it's like, well, what do we do without them? Well, that's the that's the clever thing that schemes have done. And actually, you know, as I call them, big corp phonics, what they've been able to do is is tell the myth that before they came along, learning didn't exist. So it's a bit like in a football analogy, the Premier League came along in, I think it was 1992, and it was almost like they made out that football prior to then didn't exist and now it properly exists yeah. you see what i mean yeah it's it's capitalism ultimately yeah and it's about this idea of markets which you know it, you know all came in with you know in the early 80s late 70s early 80s um and it's the political dogma that unfortunately people are part you know are part of there's a, there's a thing around neoliberalism that people that says it's not done to us it's who we are it's actually become who we are we can't think beyond it so that in terms of productivity is your value mm. but no productivity isn't your value your soul is your value and your joy is your value it's a little bit like i remember someone was talking about actually covid the lockdown however distressing that was it was also a return to who we truly are, e.g. Yeah. hobbies, occupying yeah. ourselves. you know, e economically, the shop, you know, you couldn't get to the shops. Yeah. You, do you see what I mean? So I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying the lockdown was a good, good thing. No, but there was there a lot of freedom of involved in it, wasn't there? Absolutely. In a way, which is crazy, isn't it? Because there was no freedom in, if we really think about it. But it, no. it allowed us to open up within that kind of and that's the thing because yeah. because it's almost like we've lost the memory of that i mean for me covid was coming out of that there was an opportunity there was an opportunity to return to childhood because so many children missed it but unfortunately because capitalism and neoliberalism cannot accept that it can't accept freedom because the moment you accept well certainly neoliberalism won't because the moment you have freedom you can't be micromanaged hence schemes and schemes just jumped in on it because, of course, you have a watchdog of the adult world, as I call them, which is Ofsted, who rely. They're, the watch, they're not the watchdogs of education. They're the watchdogs of neoliberalism. Yeah. So, you know, and what they, what they don't recognise, they don't understand. And they refuse to understand. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of... It's all this fear as well now because, well, there you, go. you know, we were talking about, and, and I know you speak about fear a lot in The Magic of Children, um, but, you know, I, I, I know of a school that's in the borough that does play-based learning until I think yeah. it's mid-year two and a little bit in, as they move up to year three, they're kind of, you know, eased on to more formal. Yeah. And they've, re they've been really bold and the way they approach things is, you know, really child-led and it's all about play. But they've recently had an offset and it has completely obliterated them, you know, to the point where parents will not want to send their children no. there because they rely on that. So heads have this battle, don't they? It's that do we take the risk and do what we know is right or yeah. do we take, you know, do we follow what Ofsted are saying and keep our children, keep our budgets, keep open because a lot sure. of child's children's centres have been closed down because of numbers. Yeah. How do they how do they fight that battle? But that's a difficult, isn't it? Because it takes... It takes huge courage. Yeah. My my belief is 
when you so I, I have I'm I'm currently doing quite a big piece of research action research it's something called the quest there's about 500 people doing it with me where it's an exploration into childhood and actually who we are I greatly believe that everything in education begins with the childhood trauma of the adults involved in it and the you know I read somewhere that you know adulthood is ultimately a masking of childhood trauma so when people come to positions of leadership the childhood trauma is control yeah. you've got to control it something's happened in their past which which means they cannot make themselves vulnerable whereas when you play when you give children play you make your you're open to be vulnerable because you don't know what's going to happen so if i put blocks out in my block play i don't know i don't know what children are going to build that's impossible otherwise it's not play yeah so play's freedom does not align with neoliberalism because neoliberalism says when i come in i need to know so i can i can i can assess and weigh and monitor and know if i don't know my system breaks down so it comes in to 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 continue the system not the child yeah whereas the child is not a child is almost irrelevant it's the system and the system then relies on schemes big corp phonics because Ofsted are coming I live in fear now my fear is going to stop me from becoming vulnerable so now because I'm afraid of something I'm going to come with my childhood trauma and try and control it's deeply psychological I believe I mean people listening to this may disagree but for me that's what I, I passionately believe that and I see it all the time. I see the trauma in adults and it's almost like saying to them, what is it you're afraid of? Yeah. It's not Ofsted, it's something else. Do you see what I mean? It's like, it's something in you. Yeah. And because And it almost spreads, afraid, don't you think, quite quickly. Like, you know, absolutely. if you have somebody who's working with you who, I, I mean, I don't know what your opinions are on like things like skills and progression now. We have to, you know, when you're sitting with a child, you need to be ready to be asked, what skills are you looking at? What you expect, what are you wanting the children to do here? What progression are you hoping to see? And I've, you know, I just, I wonder how working like that limits us. It, it's... Well, it's the death now. You know, why do I have to want to see something in particular yeah. yeah because because and that's where the, that's that the person is now just a portal for neoliberalism mm. it's unimaginative it cannot think beyond it can't walk in and be and be open-minded it, it can only come in with it with its agenda so and its agenda is i need to i need to see myself if i don't see myself i.e neoliberalism i now don't understand and i'm not open to understanding Hmm, but whereas so it's, I see it's that really I believe in every single classroom at the door before you walk in there every adult should take their shoes off and put on a pair of slippers which are the slip the play slippers now go in yeah because you're coming into a kingdom if you're playing the kingdom of play does not belong to adults it belongs to children we are visitors but even more powerfully, so is our inner child. Our inner child belongs to the kingdom of play. And I know this all sounds hippie, but my narrative is very much I want to return to creative teaching. I want to return to soul. I, I passionately believe that play is a spiritual act. 
I, I passionately believe that. I believe it brings you closer to the world, closer to one another. If you believe in God, it brings you closer to God, but ultimately it brings you closer to the joy. And if you're not here for joy, what are you here for? Mm. Do you know what I mean? You know? Yeah. yeah, and you say in the opening of the book that trying to fix something is never straightforward. Is no. that what you're trying to do with things like drawing clubs, story dough, and your writing? I think what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring about liberation. Mm. I'm trying to... So again, you see, with, with things like schemes and, and topic stuff, what that's generated by is... And again, it's not a criticism. It's just yeah. childhood trauma. So we have to come to that with compassion. Yeah. We have yeah. to. We can't be angry about it. It's just compassion. I actually pity you because you can't... Yeah, you, you can't go you're unwilling or you cannot see it that you are um, you're manifesting neoliberalism or you're you you're unwilling to kind of do the work within yourself to see a different side of things but the idea is if i'm a subject leader and i'm given geography to do now unless i've got the absolute joy of geography burning in my soul i now need to understand what's going on because i've now got a watchdog coming in and the only way for me to understand it is if I impose or if I can know what's going on. And the only way I can know is if I clearly see my subject happening. But as we all know, children don't, at the age of five, they're not studying or learning geography. They are geography. Mm. And it's a massive shift for adults to take. They are science. So when it comes to subjects, where do you see your subject in reception? Open your eyes, walk in, and go and look. Not how do I see it? It's the same, you know. It's the same with Ofsted. Come and look. How do I, you know, what? How do you know that the skills progression? Well, go and find out. <laughs> yeah. You you go and look. But if quite often they don't know what they're looking for, do they? But that's this the point. is the so, problem. So don't yeah. come in. Yeah. If you don't know what you're looking for, yeah, I'll close the door because <laughs> if you're not willing. Do you know, I, I, I'm passionate about it. Yeah, it's like it's you know, so it's, you're just a stranger in a strange land. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a bit like people say, you know, oh, you know, my again, this is not bashing people, but you know, they'll say, oh, my head teacher doesn't understand early years, and I just think, well, what are they doing then? How can you lead something if you don't understand it? It's madness. If it was in a business, you'd be out. That's like saying, well, I don't understand the factory floor. Well, why? How come you're in? How come you're the boss? You know, and then that sounds flippant. But it doesn't, you know, understanding early years, in inverted commas, is it a massive thing to undertake? Well, this is what I actually I talked about in some of my talks recently is, you know, what the barriers that we faced. And one, one of the barriers is that our SLT and our heads are not learning about play and they really need to because otherwise the expectations are like for when we're coming when we're being observed it needs to be a carpet time and I'm like well that's not where my learning is really happening come in and see it when you know they're playing and they're they're in their world and they're doing what they do that's when you'll see the real learning happening but it, it's uncomfortable for them because they don't know what that looks like for sure and that's why I I talk, I actually, it might sound a bit crazy, but I actually don't talk about play and early years very much nowadays. This is why my narrative, the story that I tell, is about childhood. Yeah. Because what it does is it gives me an opportunity to ask, when does childhood end? It doesn't end at five. And you'd be a, you'd be a very brave person to say it ended at five. 
and it certainly doesn't end when they're nine because again you'd be very brave so what is childhood looking for which is kind of why i which is which you're reading about now if you're reading school and the magic of children you'll come to the magic mirror and the magic mirror is a tool that basically is not a mirror against the children which is what neoliberalism is it's a mirror against the adults and it says you know what childhood needs and it lists 10 things that childhood needs and wants and are you giving it to them and you literally grade yourself out of 10 if you're scoring eight eight or nine or ten then you're adding to childhood if you're only scoring two you're actually eroding it so well, the so idea of coming nice, into simple, a room simple mm -hmm. way to check in absolutely there, there's schools using it that have actually given it over to the children so the children know at the end of the week whether their childhood has been added to or not that's got to be really powerful <laughs> so these that, the 10 things I'm just looking now are you okay if I read them out just the titles yeah, sure. so yeah, it's yeah, choice sure. creativity curiosity collaboration communication core physicality confidence continuing progress commitment and connection so they're the things you need to be checking in with um, yeah. and there's lots of detail in the book mm -hmm. and, 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 and you score 10 things and if you score really highly notice how continuing progression is is in there yeah that's what neoliberalism, neoliberalism doesn't care about anything else. It doesn't care about creativity. It can't, because creativity isn't neoliberalism. Neoliberalism is, is everything has to be the same and standardised. Otherwise, how can, it, how can it know that it's being, in inverted commas, successful? Yeah. There is no, you know, the whole narrative of life chances, social mobility, that's not neoliberalism. Mm. Neoliberalism just wants an output. It's like empty speak. Yeah. You know, that's why they'll go, you know, the phonics thing, you've got to teach phonics on day one, it's life chances. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah. You know, you've got to make the connection to children first. Yeah, I think that understanding of that autumn term, you know, with drawing club, that's so lovely. You kind of say, well, around four weeks, but there's no, yeah. and, and I know that I did drawing club and I loved it. And I also reflected on the fact that what, what you're essentially doing is teaching educators how to be free teachers again right you're giving them permission to have faith in what should be happening in their classrooms um it and i think because because you're greg bottrell and you 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 have your your books and and now drawing club and story dough it gives something a bit more meaty to take to your slt your head and say well here we go this you know it's not a scheme absolutely not a scheme but it, you can kind of go well it's written down and it's it's here and I've been on the training and I've spoken to Greg and it's like the SLT are more likely to allow you to play just by being able to say well it's Greg Bottrell and it's I've been on the training and it's tangible do you know what I mean so it's almost like you're 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 giving that permission it's like you're signing it off and saying it's okay go and play go and play go and have fun absolutely I mean all the things that I have from you know adventure island drawing club um uh story dough the message center you know i've not created these to bring into the world. i did them with my children and they were transformative i mean just transformative and because what i know is i know what the adult world wants the adult world wants output but my belief is you can give it what it wants but you follow a different route it's basically one great big Trojan horse. I mean, drawing club when it when it goes, 
because it's now gone into year one under something called the Curious Quest, which I've been doing this week. And the feedback's just been mind people have been telling me you know just it's mind blowing this is this has got the potential to be transformative and ultimately it has the potential once i've written it all to take play and childhood and continuous provision all the way to year six. Oh my goodness that's like a dream yeah absolutely but but the adult world will go will walk in and go oh my goodness me i can see output because that's all it's tuned into i can see knowledge you know, it's what I call the Michael Gove experience. You know, if you're committed to the Michael Gove experience, well, I'm can't, I can't really imagine that you've got childhood at heart. <laughs> I, and I've noticed oh. I'm not, you know, I'm just, that's a question. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And, I'm, and unfortunately, I meet quite a lot of people that seem to have, you know, like a little mini. It's a bit like, I often think people behave like they're on The Apprentice. Yes. You know, it's like, guys, you're not on Apprentice. They're just children. Give them some magic. Yeah. You know, it's, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's strange. It's just human. It's, hu- it's all about human behavior. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. It's Absolutely. interesting what makes people tick. And tell me about faith. How can we continue to have faith? We were talking a bit about this before we started recording this. You know, we, we have all of these wonderful ideas that you, that you, that you bring to us, that Alistair Bryce Clegg brings to us, you know, uh, uh, Sue Cowley and Ruth Swales and all these lovely people who say, yeah, play is the way to do it. And we've got all this permission, but putting it in places just seems like one long battle. And despite them knowing it's the right thing to do, they're often not choosing that route, you know, for something like, for example, year one play, you know, you, you can never find it now. Year one play base just doesn't really exist. No. How can we still have faith when we're just constantly meeting these barriers? Well, I think there's two things Two things there. The first one is, I believe the challenge, that what can bring the barriers down is the narrative of childhood. I do believe that. But the other thing is, is, is you just, you have to have faith because you can't lose it. It's as simple as that. If you if you lose faith in play and childhood, no one else is going to come and have it. And this is where I talk about, you know, I do, you know, a lot of my work is around the soul, spirituality. You know, I'd even go as far as res- resurrection. It, it when you when you discover I was resurrected. I used to be a key stage two teacher. I was taken down to to down. Listen to me. I was taken across to into reception because there was the there was two children who were um, unfortunately being quite you know let's say um disruptive and my head said greg you're a man you'll go and sort it out mm. and that's how i ended up in early years wow and on and you know and i went reluctantly because i wanted to actually be i loved key stage two and i actually wanted to be a head teacher and i had this whole kind of plan you know progression that i thought was going to happen for me but within two weeks, I went through a spiritual resurrection and realized on top of, you know, this idea of, you know, I'd been to Reggio, I've been my daughter. It was like, wow, I need to put the pen down here. I'm just, all I hear is, can I go and play now? Yeah. What's going on? And the moment I stepped in to play and discovered that the children, you know, I had 60 children in my class at a big foundation unit, 60 of them. Almost every single child had begun to make one giant big golf course. Don't know where it came from. I hadn't planned it. But that morning, 
the world of mark making and mathematics just came pouring out and I realised what the children wanted wasn't a teacher, they wanted a companion. Yeah. And so that was a big shift for me and I was, I was reborn. They do just really want to play with you, don't they? That's that's yeah. it. And quite often if we're pulled away from admin tasks or we've got to write up an observation or take a picture or they they, they it disconnects you straight away. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I'm going to be writing about it soon. When I go into schools, um, and I'm lucky to go in now and again with my girlfriend, um, Sharda. She's um, in, on Instagram. She's Nanny, Nanny Shars, S-H-A-R-Z. I'll put a link on the summary. Um, and we, so she's, a, you know, she's a really experienced childcare professional. And we, we go into schools and um, Sharda plays while I do a commentary around. I mean, I play too. But the biggest thing that we notice, both of us, is that we allow the children to call us Greg and Sharda. And instantly, there's a connection, like instantly, because we're not, I'm not Mr. Bottrell. And again, the language that we use, I, 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 I'm really fascinated by what would change if the children could call us by their first names. You see it in nursery, the children, you know, will go, if it's Kim or Greg or Angela, the moment they get to school, there's this, and it's Victorianism, yeah. that the children have got to call you Mr. Well, why? why and all the they? way through the school as well, not just in early yeah. years. It's madness. Yeah. It, and it's just this unthinkingness. What if, what if they called... There's an amazing book by a guy called Rob Hopkins called From What Is to What If. Rob Hopkins. And, and the first... And yeah, it's all the basics, just asking what if. And his first chapter is just called What If We Took Play Seriously? And it's just an extraordinary book. I mean, it's, it's just... It's incredible. I'll put the link on the episode. Yeah, do. It's, yeah. It's, it's such a great book. But the idea here is that, is that children... What if I was a companion? You know, my thing, when I created Drawing Club, I created it because I made what I felt was a spiritual decision to not be a teacher but to be dad. Because I had lots of children that were not being book snuggled at home. Well, a teacher isn't... I mean, you know, a, te- a teacher is going to read a book, literacy, you know, in that model. But actually, no, I'm, I've got this burning love of books. I'm going to be dad. I'm going to book snuggle you. And that's what led to Drawing Club, which is why Drawing Club is not literacy. It is literacy, but it's way beyond the scopes of literacy, I believe. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's interesting a, that... Sorry, go on, you carry on. No, no, no. No, no, I'm just saying it's just that idea of when the moment you shift how you see yourself, that I'm a companion, everything, I believe everything changes. You're part you can of have it. all the raging stuff. Absolutely. Mm. And and I think we don't remember the teachers that we remember that really inspired us. You know, I, I was speaking to some PGCE students at the Institute of Education a couple of weeks ago, and I asked them what what is it that you remember? What what teachers do you remember? And not once was there, or oh, their classroom was really organised, or mm-hmm. you know, they really helped me develop through progression maps, or <laughs> you know, it was they felt like they really got me. They understood me as an individual, and I really knew who mm. they were, and they were a little bit vulnerable in front of me, yeah. um, and I think that's so important for connection isn't it that we're part of their world it's critical it's it because it's because it's a human act it's a it's again it comes up it's a spiritual thing that you do i believe when you're in a room as a companion you this is what i talk about in in can i go and play now about this idea of co-playing my inner child greg wants to go and play so one way of doing it is i imagine as i walk in to my into my classroom, I just visualise 
um, I'm stood outside my bedroom door that I used to have when I was little, and I can I my my inner child, my five year old Greg is on the other side sitting on the bed, and I open the door, and I just say to that child sitting next to them, I put my arm around them and say, "What do you want to play today?" Then we go, and we're in. Now I'm I'm still Gre I'm still Mr. Bottrell. I've got a knowledge of phonics and mathematics, and I know you know the EYFS. But children don't care if you know the UIFS. No. They're, they're living and alive and they want joy and they want relationship. Yeah. And along the way, I'm going to show you the alchemy of mark making. I'm going to teach you the language of mathematics and explore it with you. And I'm also going to bring geography in because, in inverted commas, because the moment you put blocks out, the, you've got geography. The moment you've got Lego, the, uh, you know, an outdoor space. The moment you've got a room, you've got geography. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's kind of, there's this simplicity to it. But it all comes down to companionship, which I believe. And people listening to this may disagree. They may believe that, you know, I've been to Trettina Training College and children ought to respect me. And But my thing is, is you need to earn that respect. Yeah. yeah. You need to, you know, it's a bit like saying, you know, on day one, children should do phonics. And I just think, yeah, but they don't care about you yet. Why would they? That's why children don't care about phonics. They don't know who you are. Yeah. And you just launched into the sound, ah. Well, why would they care about that if they don't care about you? And of course, you teach it for on day one because Big Corp Phonics wants to, you to live in fear so that you buy more of their products. And I find it astonishing that people can't see it. So educators, get your slippers on, relearn, <laughs> relearn play, relearn how to play, which is what I did at uni because I did drama. So we just threw balls and, and did games all day, which was really hard to begin with. It is hard to relearn to play as an adult because especially if we've been through the education system, and then we've gone on to the adult world. It's really hard to undo all of that, isn't it? But do it because it's worth it and it's fun and it brings joy to your life as well as the children's. One, but also do it because it's essential. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, not, you know, it's not a choice. Play is not a choice. Mm -hmm. And it's not your choice to give. You know, and it's like, and that's why I talk about childhood because if it's not a choice to give it at the age of five, is it your choice to give it at the age of six? No. Is it your choice to give at the age of 11? I, I, don't get me wrong. I know, you know, the national curriculum, you know, which is ultimately Michael Gove, you know, it's like that because he believes that knowledge gives children value. If you can prove what you know, you now have value. But I believe that there's a first knowledge and the first knowledge before any of that is joy and emotion and connection. It's for nothing if you know every fact about recycling if it doesn't make you angry that litter gets dropped on the floor. It's for nothing. I can know all the facts about the world, but if I don't care about whether I take public transport to, to do a mile or walk a mile or I just hop in the car and drive, well, all the knowledge is, is useless. Do you see what I mean? And it's just, my belief is not, yeah, there is a massive joy in children knowing stuff. But ultimately, it's the soul. And the soul is what happens when children, you know, especially when they're five, you know, because it's their first connection with the system. And if we don't give them something different, then you may as well just stick them in key stage two. Yeah, and let's talk a bit about key stage two. So 
I want to speak to you about the early years. Of mm-hmm. course, it's our true love, and you speak so eloquently about the top-down mentality of seeing children as products and as outcome. But us early as educators are fighting to keep play-based learning right now. But what can we do for the older children in terms of freeing them from the adult world? Are they they're, they're truly in it, aren't they? Can we get them out of it? Um, I think we can. And I actually think, you know, when I go around schools, I see some incredible Key Stage 2 teachers, like really passionate you know, um, and I, I've I've met many many teachers that are doing the very best that they can within the you know the structures that they have, um, and it's those people again who have got the responsibility to champion what they're doing. And what does that look like? Story. It's about well, again to me it comes back to the magic mirror that you see creativity and collaboration and you see choice. Just because you're having to deliver national curriculum doesn't mean that children can't have choice. It doesn't. It's you just got to think, how do I give them choice? You know, when I was a key stage two teacher, I know I made mistakes. I I know I didn't give children everything that I could have done. If I'd stayed in there longer, I definitely would have got to that point. You know, I was learning. I was learning that actually, you know, how am I switching children off here? It's that whole thing of like, you know, I'd do a maths lesson. The children would do 20 questions on it. And then the ones that had finished, I'd give them 20 more do you know what I mean? Yeah. That whole, and, but that's not maths. That's yeah. just pleasing teacher. And it's trying to flip that. And it's trying to take the energy of the key stage two creative people because they're definitely out there. And again, there's some really brilliant SLT people and there's some fantastic heads in the world. But it's that, you know, when I go, when I go into schools, I genuinely go around almost like imagining that I'm collecting head teachers. Yeah. And those head teachers are the ones that we need. The ones who I call the power clowns and the spreadsheet gang, we don't need them because you're just neoliberalism. You, you know, it's the template teaching people. And Do you think all... they can change? Well, only if they go through it. Well, again, this is the whole thing about childhood trauma and spirituality. And I don't have the answer to that. That's no. on them. If you're not willing to make yourself vulnerable, then you're going to go through life as a power clown. Yeah, that's just, that's just, you know, and that's not, and again, that's where the compassion comes in. I, I feel sorry for you that you can't, that you can't see what it is you're doing. It's lovely, you know, that you often see it, don't you, with, you know, and again, this is not a criticism of, of, of this type of schools, because I've seen very good ones. But when you have, you know, the super mats, which are the template teaching, and they use the words consistency and all of this, which is all just, it's just, it's all it is, is neoliberalism. It's, an, it's, it's just the thing of like micromanaging and everything being known. They're the people that worry me because the template teaching, did, it basically diminishes creative teaching and who you are as a teacher. Do you see what I mean? And it's now I'm just, I'm just delivery mode. That's, that's what worries me, the delivery mode. Because children, is, I believe children deserve better. They really but do. Again, and also it's know, boring to teach that way. I, I feel like that's why we're losing teachers. It's not, how, how can it be enjoyable? I don't understand what anyone gets from that. No, but again, neoliberalism can't, doesn't, doesn't, it's not interested in emotion. No. <laughs> it just, it's just not. It's robotic, as you it's, say. Yeah, so what those people are in that system. It will be about profit. It will be about proof, status, power. But children aren't here for that. Children are here for joy. And again, it's just a question. It's not, you know, I'm not, I would never, I never do it when I go into a school. I never tell head teachers how to run their school. I just ask questions. 
you know. They it's can like, answer and, those themselves and yeah, it, it comes you, out. I've just done a conference to, you know, 80 head teachers in, from, from Barnet. And we've explored, we explored the inner child. And, you know, you could see people were deeply moved by it because actually there's this realisation, do you know what, actually, I need to, I need to go away and think now. I need to go and learn from my early years team. I mean, really, this is what this is about. It's trying yeah. to put the early years people, or the play people, as I call them, mm-hmm. back into positions of, actually, I'm the expert. Yeah, because quite often we, we're considered the babysitters at the bottom of the school that Absolutely. don't really know much. But actually, if everyone took a leaf out of our book, it could really bring a lot of joy and learning. Absolutely. And the biggest leaf, of course, is the, is the, is the vulnerability. Yeah, you have to learn from me. I don't, you know. Again, I I know I know child development. That's my confidence. That's my knowledge. What I don't know is what children are going to do. If they're going to play, but I am willing. I am open to going to find out. I am, you know. Again, we talk a lot about, you know, children having curiosity, and I always think, yeah. But what about the adults? Are the adults curious? Do you really care to go in and find out? And if not, why don't you? You know, one of the biggest shifts I find is using the word time together, which I talk about a lot in my work about time together and shifting the whole language around like observation. Interventions as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's all about time together. What does childhood want? Time together. So when leaders come down to look around, it's time to come and have time together with me. Let me show you. Come and find out. Yeah, you want to watch a phonics. And it, to be honest, any I believe anybody can pull off an outstanding phonics lesson. Yeah. That's just deli- well, especially if, you, if it's de- if it's scripted. <laughs> it's deli- well, if you well exactly, and if you can't do it, go back to Big Corp Phonics, not me. Yeah. So I often you were talking a little bit about how, you know how do you overcome the pressures of the of the adult world and and you know that faith. My one tip that I that I took on for me was this: I looked at my flow of the day, and I just broke it all down into all the components and just went right. What have I chosen? Did I choose that phonics scheme? Nope. Right. So I'm not morally going to take any. I'm not going to take any responsibility for that. It's not, I didn't choose it. I'm not going to get het up about it. I'm just going to deliver it. You want me to be delivery mode lovely, right? Math. Did I choose that? Nope. Right. So I'm delivery mode. I'm not going to get hot up about it. I'm just going to deliver it. The co-play bit. Bang. Let's go. Because that's the bit. So I'm doing. I'm doing my phonics, knowing that play is coming. Do you see what I mean? So I just dropped all of the emotional reaction to having to do, you know, this and just went, yeah, lovely. Because that's exhausting, not, isn't it? That it is. Fighting that when you cut, there's yeah. no point. If it's not working, go back to the phonics consultant. Yeah. They'll sort it out. You know, you often see, you know, people online, you know, typing in, you know, how, what do you do about phonics? And blah, blah. I'm thinking, yeah, but go back to the person who t- sold you the scheme. They've just made eight grand out of you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They're there for money. They're not there, you know, I reading and writing existed before big court phonics came along they didn't create it and then suddenly it's almost like you know you hear of you know you hear of big court phonics telling teachers what order you know how to hold a flash card oh yeah and it's like yeah how you place it down yeah it's like guys you're being micromanaged just no be liberated you know is the world going to crash into the sun because you you showed the letter s before you showed the letter t no it really isn't. It's a letter. Ultimately, I believe phonics and everything that we do is about time together. And it's your joy. Nothing is a magic bullet other than your soul. I will show you the massive joy of phonics. 
and I will show you the massive joy of mathematics and outside I'll show you the joy of STEM, geography, history because I'm going to come and play with you. Let's go bang. You know, and it's, I don't know, I just want to return, return I guess, to that idea of, of liberation and I do believe it's possible. And you say that play is not necessarily planned and the idea of not planning might be really, really scary. Does planning hold us back more than it helps children progress, do you think? <laughs> I, for, again, with planning, the difficulty that play has, it's Achilles heel, is that it's actually one great big question. When children play, they're questioning the world. But what the adult world wants neoliberalism is answers that's what it wants it wants an answer it's not I worried about the process it, it can't it, it can't so when it comes and says you know i've just seen something online today where you know a, um, a, a leader has come in and, and kind of been very dismissive about playing what are they learning and it's like but they it's there but it, the, the, the children are asking questions it's not it's not an answer do you see where I'm going yeah. with that? And that's its Achilles heel. Because the adult world wants an answer. So with planning, it's almost like you're planning for the answer. But really, you the planning is about... You can't. Because you don't know what it is. What you can plan for, I believe, is... And again, this. some people may do this, I don't know. But what I've always tried to do... This might sound a bit left field, but... When I, in inverted commas, set up my day, so if I've got, you know, I don't really talk, I don't really use the word continuous provision. I talk about the learning landscape. When I, because again, it's just a muddled phrase. It, you know, if I'm not trained in early years, what does it mean? And I've, I'm yeah. using language to build a mountain. The moment I talk about learning landscape, the, the other adults are like, oh, what, there's learning? Yes, there is. But if I start talking about continuous provision, they just glaze over. That's so true. It automatically says there is learning happening in here. Yep. <laughs> Very you're clear. Into my, of course, you're coming into my learning landscape. Get your play slippers on. Let's go. Bring your magic mirror. Let's go and find out. Come and have time together with my children. Let's discover. Let's discover it together. Let's go on. You know, this is why my, my the quest is called the quest. Come on the quest with me. Let's go and find out. So what I do is... When I'm setting my learning landscape up, in inverted commas, when I'm thinking about, you know, the kinds of things, that the choices I'm going to give children in terms of resources, etc. I'm actually not necessarily thinking about them. I know what an object's capability is. Like, if I put a tyre outside, I know it's going to build um, fine motor. That's just obvious. I don't need to go to training college and do an early years degree to know that something heavy is going to build muscle. That's just glaringly obvious. But what I'm going to do is think about what I can show the children. So in the planning, I've put myself in. Do you see where I'm going with yeah. that? And I, I'm going to... If I put out a saucepan with jewels on it in the water tray, I've no idea what the children are going to do with it. I know when they pick it up and they pour it, it's going to be good for their hands. And some of them might be able to do, you know, some kind of transformational play with it. But I know when I go in at some point, because don't forget, I'm a companion now. I'm just coming into play. Yeah, I'm just playing. I'm not getting in the way of anyone's play. I'm just playing. I'm going to play and I'm going to um, pretend that, you know, I'm going to drink out of it. Before I do, I'm going to count to 20 in twos. I'm going to, so there's my mathematics. 
in, I'm talking about, you know, just genetic, that could have been any mathematics I want to show the children, because again, I'm liberated. I can show you whatever, and I drink it, now I'm going to turn into a goblin. And yeah. I know the moment I put that saucepan down, that, that's a potential thing that I'm going to show the children. So in my planning, I think more about what joy, what magic am I going to show the children? And then I'm going to wait for, see, for the joy and the magic that the children are going to show me. It's like a transaction. Yeah. It just flips it. To me, it just flips it on its head. Yeah, that makes sense because you are in charge of what you do. You yeah. can plan for that because you know. And, yeah. and, and still, it might not happen in the way that you've planned it because it, something might happen or the children might give you something that changes your direction. Absolutely. But you can't control what the children do. You have no idea. No, because if it's control, it ain't play. And if it's control, it's not love. It ain't love. Play is love. Because if you, you know, as we all know, the greatest act of love is to let go. That's the greatest act. You let go of someone that, you know, if, if, if you, that's what you do. And with children, you have to let go of them. You have to go, go on and choose. I will make myself vulnerable. You, not that you tell this to children, but, you know, I'm going to make myself vulnerable. I'm coming with you on this adventure. I've got, you know, again, in, in kind of go and play now, talk about the secret suitcase, this idea of I've got the skills that I'm going to sprinkle over the top, but you've got a little secret suitcase too, every single child, and you're going to sprinkle joy over me. You're going to add to me. I'm going to learn from you. So when my, you know, when the adult world comes in and they say, what are they learning? How do you know what they're learning? And they go, it's really exciting, isn't it, actually? I'm showing them stuff and they're now showing me. Yeah. I'm actually valuing them. Tell the story of what you're doing. You know, I often use the phrase, and this is a bit of a mind trick, and I've done this with Ofsted in the past. I tell them what they think. Hmm. I say, isn't it? I did this quite recently in a school, actually, um, when I, I went in and Ofsted were there. And I turned to the inspector. I was dreading it, by the way, because I was thinking, imagine if I did something that messed up their inspection. <laughs> so they were, that's properly vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the first thing I said to the inspector when she walked past me, I just went, isn't play amazing? <laughs> what can they say? And what they can't. Yeah. And later on, she found herself, she, she had these big high heels on, and she was outside. I was, I was looning around with the children outside on this uh, obstacle course. And she, she got on, and she followed me around, and the children were pretending to be lions and stuff. And she got off and turned to me and went, Greg, you're right, play is amazing. And I told her that. Yeah. So the idea is I say, to, I say to the adult world, it's great how, something like, isn't it great how you and I both know play is really important? Yeah, yeah. You tell them what they think because yeah. they're trying to tell you what to think. Turn it back. Don't, well, quite often I, they're, not, they're not early years specialists as well. I mean, I, I, we, got, we had one Ofsted recently and the one bit of feedback that I got from the inspector that came to observe me was that my classroom was too loud and it was a wow. rainy day so the children were not choosing to go outside because we do have outside opening all weathers but I thought if that's the only thing that you've got from here you have no idea what you're talking about because the but, learning there was a lot of learning happening in that classroom of course and if you were to go so if you were to go back 120 years that's what a school inspector would have said 120 years ago <laughs> so surely that person literally hasn't evolved. Yeah. You know, there is an argument, by the way, that if if you can't see play, it's a lack of evolution. <laughs> <laughs> I read that somewhere. Not I that like you'd say that. that to someone. But because you, the only way to evolve is to make yourself vulnerable. Because the only way you learn. So if you're stuck on power and control, you can never move forward. You can never learn. 
Mm. All you can learn, well, you can learn, but you just learn to have more power. And uh, we talk when you talk about that focus activities that those those two words, um, yeah, I'm not going to say much more about that. But um, yelling children's names across the room like a Jack Russell, um, <laughs> I loved that sentence because, and that's obviously where your books come from. The can I go and play now? I guess that's carpet time, but also the focus activities where the adult is pulling the child away from their play to come and do an activity that they've planned that they want them to do because then they can tick tick them off the list. Um, yes. And what are your thoughts on focus activities and adult-led activities? And how have you incorporated this in your creative activities such as Drawing Club? So that's a good question. So again, part of this is all about, is about the language, the shifting language, telling, the, telling a different story. I personally don't, I don't acknowledge the phrase adult-directed learning because what does that mean? It's, it's literally meaningless. What it's about is is time together. I, so if I if I do an intervention or I have a table activity out, I should be doing that because I want to show the joy of something to the children. Not because it is my topic this week. It's what joy do I want to show the children? So I'm going to. It's what I call pop up provision. I'm going to pop up a table. If I want to show you the massive joy of polar bears, for example. I'm going to pop up some kind of scene with the plastic polar bears and now it's down to me, not the children, to, to have the joy of it. I've got to show them. Otherwise, why did I pop it up? Do you see what I mean? It's like if I'm going to do it, then it's got to come from me. Drawing yeah. club, which again is what the liberating thing is, I, in, when, I, when I did it, children did come to me because I wanted to show them the massive joy of story. And I didn't want them to get to year one without knowing it. And I created it because I wanted to have time with children, almost snuggled in with them, exploring creativity invention. But when I talk about it, I give it over to teachers. Do it how you want to do it. If you want to make it voluntary, make it voluntary. Do you see what I mean? If you want to do it, it just be liberated from that. A scheme would say, right, and now you've got to do da 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 Drawing club, for example, I believe is time together opening the door to the magic world of story. That's what it does, I yeah. believe. And I get tons of people saying just the impact on the children and, and them. But I never created it for outcomes. It will get outcomes, but it's about the joy. So it all comes back to anything that you do as an adult, everything that you, again, I just sort of imagine, again, it might be some too hippie for people about this idea of the kingdom of play, I don't know. But the kingdom of play existed before I was born. It existed when I die. It's a it's a place. It's not it's not it's not an imagined place. It's actually real. It's right there. We live in it. It's all around us. But in, especially in a reception class or a nursery class, and hopefully in key stage one, we should we should be walking into the kingdom of play. So what am I bringing into the kingdom of play? I'm bringing the massive joy of I don't know. It's off the top of my head. Recycling. And if there isn't a massive joy of recycling for you, why are you sharing it with the children? That's a good, that's a good easy question, <laughs> isn't it, to ask about everything that you do. Absolutely. You know, what is the, what, if you're not going to enjoy this what, or bring joy to the children, what, what is the What's reason the for it? What, what are you but doing what, it for? It's, it's fruitless. It's like, you know, it's why drawing clubs got no set texts. There aren't any. What's your joy? You know, it's like 
there are certain books I really don't like sharing with children because I actually find them incredibly boring. Um, so why would I, you know, if I, I might share them at home time, but I'm not going to make a, you know, I'm not going to make a massive song and a dance about them. There might be books I think, do you know what, these children will enjoy. So of course I'm going to share it with them. But the only way I'm going to find that out is if I go and play with them. Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm not necessarily switched on by books about tractors, for example. But if I've got loads of children that are really fascinated by tractors, then because I'm the companion, I'm going to go away and I'm going to discover the joy of tractors. And now, lo and behold, here's a book about tractors. Mm. You know, yeah, it's, so like, it's like that again, that transaction. It's like it's it not is. all about you passing on to them. They do that to you as well and no. allowing that flow. Yeah. But delivery mode and template teaching, which is the dominant, seems to be the dominant story, can never do that because it's got set texts which have been create given to you by some, you know, by a literacy lead. So, you know, so that all these things can be planned around them. But but where's the adult in this? You know, and it's just that's that's really kind of my belief in anything kind of inadverted commas adult directed or as I prefer to call it time together. If it's time together, why have you chosen to show that? what you're trying to do, what you're trying to bring into the kingdom of play. And it, I like that idea of time together. You know, we quite often we talk about interventions and I know uh, phonics schemes, big court phonics, um, will often say the the catch-up sessions. Yep. The catch-up sessions that have to be happening. So you teach phonics for half an hour in the morning and then in the afternoon you have to bring all the children that you think have not got it, which, yeah, you get them together and you enable them to catch up. Um what is the purpose of that? Is there a purpose of that? What What's your view on interventions, catch-up sessions and, yeah? With Big Court Phonics, the, the, the point of doing it is profit. It's as simple as that. It's fear. If you've got a phonics scheme that you've sat children down for 30 minutes and they've still not got it in 30 minutes, it's not, it's telling you something. They so don't true. need more not more it's telling you something about the underpinning of relationship context you know their 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 previous childhood you know in terms of their their, their years naught to five which it always it just astounds me that you know people just seem incapable of seeing that political decisions get made to decimate children's centers and libraries and then never challenge it it, it's a dogma, it's a political dogma that has decimated childhood. That's what's happened. And then, of course, here are now all these companies that will say, oh, do this and you will get outcomes. You know, here's the, you know, Big Court Phonics is really about the fear of the phonics screening check, which if we actually look at it, is a test. It's a test. No matter what anyone says, it's a test. It's test by stealth. Yeah. And so if you've got a test, it's fear. The adults fit afraid. So these people are making a lot of money of on drawing upon the fears of educators. 100%. And not only that, they're, then, they're not really working because you're having so many that you have to catch up in the afternoon. Yeah. What, is that, what are those catch-up sessions doing to the children? Well, they're just boring. I was about to swear then. You can swear. They're just, I'm not going to. It's fine. <laughs> I, I'm a good Christian man. But what it's doing is, is disconnecting them from the joy of being alive. If I'm five and I can't chop and blend, do I really want to spend 15 minutes being having it shoved down my throat? 
Mm. No, what I needed is an adult to go, do you know what? There's something in your past experience that is not showing you the joy. What is it? What is it that I can explore with you? you know, it's, the, it's the thinkingness. But of course, a scheme can't think like that because now we're on in the individual. It can't think on a, on a unique child basis, which, by the way, is the, is the central point of the EYFS, the unique child. It says it in writing. So the moment you've got a scheme, you've just done away with the unique child. Oh my God, that's so You've true. just literally obliterated it. Yeah. And I, I, I find it bizarre. It's like if you can't, if, if a child after doing, you know, phonics to me should be a 20 minute massive joy of being alive. Yeah, 20 because minutes. I just remember it being so much more, I mean, back in, well, many years ago when I started teaching, I just remember like, we, we kind of thought, oh, it's raining today, why don't we go and dance in the rain with umbrellas and do the ah uh sound, like that would be our phonics, and we would just explore that sound and, and be really immersed in an experience, but now it just feels like it's them and us. Because you, but the difficulty is, you see, if you go and do that, how do I make money out of you? Mm. And how 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 do they see it? How, it's not it's not nothing tangible again, is it? Because no. an experience can't be held, or I guess no. it can through photos. But if I stop to take photos, then that moment. So now gone. it's proof again. You see, yeah. it all comes back to proof, which is proof is neoliberalism. Yeah, it comes down to that trust so, and. But again, it's kind of like you know, um, my thing with all of that and it, it, these questions. So I, I stumbled across these questions online somewhere along the line. Oh yeah. And it's basically there are five of them, and it says. It's basically when you're beginning to kind of, again, this, this comes out of vulnerability and stuff and beginning to question stuff. So it's like, what, what do you mean by, the first one is, what do you mean by that? Why do you think that's true? Is that the only way? What's the worst thing that could happen? Are there any counter arguments? And how did we arrive at that conclusion? If you asked all those questions of, of lots of stuff that happens, you're going to start getting, you're going to get stuck into conversations about it. Yeah. I personally believe there's a completely different way of doing phonics. Completely different way of doing phonics. Is that uh, something that you might share with us one day? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, t I'll tell you the principle. Yeah. And then everyone can, kind of, you know, the, the phonics brigade can all jump on board and say how it doesn't work. But, you know, again, it's that thing of, is that the only way? It's essentially ditching book ban books in reception. Yeah. And you you break everything down. Term one is literally sharing letter sounds with children. That's it. That's all it is. And within the flow of play, you you chop and blend. You turn into a game. And then in, in, in term two, you begin to um, word build. And term three is all the tricky words, etc. Literally just, and there's no book band books, what it, what you what you read are messages from the teacher, which taps into my message center idea. Yeah. Because if I'm a child, I don't care about Sam's pot. I don't care about you know, a, 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 I just don't. It's it's you know what I do care about is the message from my teacher, because my teacher loves me and they've just written me something. And it's so true. I think with with book band books, you know, I have a lot of parents who I work with um, for mindfulness for learning. And their concern is that if their child doesn't read the book at home, that they're not going to learn how to read. And we do, we, we forget as educators that parents really hold what we say, 
or most of them, hold what we say as of great importance. So if we're sending this book home, they truly believe that if their child doesn't want to read that book, that that means they're going to fall behind or... And, you know, with my own children, none of them liked the books that were sent home. I have a six-year-old at the moment who comes home with these book band books and she's just not interested and I never force her to read it. Um, she loves picture books, she loves story, and we do that. We read stories together and we have, and she has learned to read. That we, It's not dependent on book ban books. Learning to read does not depend on them reading those books every night, does it? But, but that's where big court phonics have, spent, have spun the myth, because for yeah. them it does. And yeah. the moment you've got parents who are now in fear of falling behind, mm-hmm. then you've got them, because now the pressure's on the school. It, it's, just, it's just one great big marketing thing. You know, child, people... I'm sure I read recently somewhere that, you know, outcomes for children have not improved from various big court phonics companies. And rates of literacy haven't gone up since the 1950s because there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a threshold. Because certain children, they're, it's not to say that they're not worthy of learning to read. Of course they are. But if you've just got this weird monolith that you keep giving to children, the unique child has disappeared. You know, I've I've taught in inverted commas. I've taught children to read through my message centre approach because they just wanted messages from me. They didn't want to read the book Bam book because it was boring, and they kept on saying, "Why I don't want this book? It's boring." And I'd be like, "Yes, but in week five you must have this book because it's on your, <laughs> you know." And the whole thing of colour, but colour codes, you know, that's that's neoliberalism, that's capitalism that you somehow your value is in the is in what you can produce no it's not and some people might think this is that you know oh you know the people go you don't have high expectations actually no yes i do but i have high expectations of myself as a play companion and yes i do have play, high expectations of children but it's the way i go about it yeah it's, it's so totally true. different you can way. really you can children can do so much in fact the schemes and you know all all of this these scripts and things that we're having to follow are are not having high expectations of children. It, it's no. the opposite. No. You're not allowing them to explore openly and go beyond, and that's that's the problem. It's very limiting, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's a, a little absolutely. It's a little bit like in you know when I used to do the message centre, I taught my children how to write poo and we in about week five. <laughs> I love that. Because what does childhood want? Poo and we. Yeah. Why am I going to wait for a phonics scheme to tell me to do it in, in spring one? Yeah. Life is just dripping away. I'm not going to wait. And the reason, one of the reasons why I love co-play is that I'm liberated to show the children whatever. I can show, because I'm not teaching you. The phonics is done. I've done that bit. You wrote the scheme for me. Yeah, lovely. And by the way, I don't do it, you know, I do it with as much joy as I possibly can. But, you know, I remember one child saying to me, Mr. Bottrell... We sat down to phonics and she just went, why are you boring here? And then when we play, you're really good fun. <laughs> I mean, that just says like, it all, doesn't yep. it? <laughs> Wouldn't it be uh, great as a result of this podcast episode if everyone just got rid of their phonics schemes? Oh, man, can you imagine? Oh, I'd get in trouble. But, yeah. you know, the, the idea of that phonics scheme that I've just talked about, my idea for it, yeah. is just looking at it in a different way. But, again, it would take huge bravery to go, do you know what, we'll, we'll have a think about that. Because which school's going to do it? And this it's all about being bold right now. Of course it is. This is what I keep saying in, in the talks that I do, in the, in the people that I'm talking to, PGCE students, it's about being brave and getting out there because the more of us there are, 
the more likely bigger change will happen and we can really, really be playing and, and allowing the children to have joyful school experiences. And it's also about the adult. So that if you, I believe, if children are being denied play, it's not just the children, so are you. So advocate, you're being denied. You're being denied who you are, your inner child, your, your inner Greg, for me. My inner Greg is not being allowed to play. So actually, what am I going to do? I need to do something because I want to play. Everybody wants to play. Everyone's driven to play. It's in our DNA, you know? Oh, Greg, it has been amazing talking to you. How can people contact you, get you in their schools, nurseries, children's centres? Um, probably just looking on my website. I mean, again, can I go and play now.com? Um, that's probably the route in. I mean, again, it's... Um, I, I just hope... this. I hope this hasn't come across as too bleak. I think it's more just... I hope what we've been able to do is just ask questions and that's kind of what a lot of my work is around. You know, even when I go into schools, I never go in with answers. Yeah. I go in with questions. I go in, I have toolkits, but actually I don't have the answer. You have the you know, you as the teacher have the answer because it's your soul. Yeah. And what I, lies in you? I think you're right. It, it, no, and it hasn't come across bleak at all, but I think it can feel like that sometimes to educators. But I think it is really important to remember that there are lots of people out there who are, you know, are, are kind of thinking outside the box and trying, you know, you can't yeah. always have the whole day as you want it. But like you say, it's about looking at the things that you can't control and, con and, and doing, you know, playing when you can play, basically. Do what yeah. you can and that will make you feel better. But I think it is important to explore those those bleaker moments in education because sometimes you can feel that you're on your own and it's quite isolating so it's nice to know that other people are experiencing it and overcoming yes, it absolutely and it's the overcoming bit and ultimately i believe it's about always asking look upstream so for example there's like an anecdote about a mum and a dad a mum and a dad or a mum and a dad are by a pick by a river having a picnic and they hear a splashing sound and comes past them a child and the mum go, uh, the dad goes in to rescue the child, brings it out. Two seconds later, another child comes down the river. Dad goes in again, gets the child out. Another child comes down. Dad goes in and rescues it. And the children just keep on coming. And the dad's getting tired. And he turns to the mum who stood on the bank, said, you need to come and help me. And she says to the dad, no, I'm going to go upstream to see who's throwing the children in. Mm. And the idea is, is we need to be like that mum. We've got to go upstream. Your problems and your difficulties do not begin with SLT and you've got to look upstream. Yeah. What's, what's that? And again, that's where a lot of my stuff hopefully is about that idea of, you know, the political system and the dogma yeah. and all of that. Because, you know, people, some people disagree with me, but I, I passionately believe that play is politics. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's a bigger picture, isn't it? It's looking it's, it's, way up. What? Where is this? Where is this where stemming it from? Yeah, it ain't SLT. Yeah, <laughs> they get blamed for lots of stuff, but it actually isn't. They're just they're, they're under a lot that, of pressure. They are, but they don't. You know that that childhood trauma is kicking in for them. So yeah. you bring compassion, right? Let me look beyond you. What's next? What can I change? Mm. And I'll leave it to work for people to work out who's at the top of the stream. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, Greg. It's been a real pleasure to talk to likewise. you. Likewise. Yeah, likewise. I've really enjoyed it. And um, hopefully it's inspired people or, you know, just opened up questions for people to go back in their teams and, you know, talk about. But uh, no, I've loved talking with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much, Greg, for joining the Mindfulness for Learning community and sharing your amazing energy, creativity and ideas with us. 
Every time we lose faith, we can tune back into this episode and remind ourselves we're not alone and we can give the children what we know they really want. Greg visits schools and has two amazing books that I just could not stop highlighting as I read them. So if you're wanting to learn more from Greg, I would fully recommend you buy them. You can find Greg on Instagram on at can I go and play now and on Twitter on at Greg Bottrell. His website is canigoandplaynow.com. You can learn more about what we do at Mindfulness for Learning at mindfulnessforlearning.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram on at mforlearning. Thank you to Ben Corbett for editing this episode and thank you to our listeners and we will see you next time.